This morning, I want to talk with you about uh, the church at Smyrna. We're in this seven churches, seven choices. It's the seven churches of Revelation. And I want to talk to you about the church at Smyrna. Smyrna was a healthy church. Last week, we looked at the church of Ephesus, and we called it the loveless church. Remember, because Jesus told them, you're doing a lot of good things, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. Uh, now, this is the, the healthy church. The church at Smyrna was very, very healthy, but I want to tell you something. It was also harassed. It was suffering. And it was enduring a great deal of persecution. In the 17th century, John Donne, a, a, a famous poet, and his poetry is still known to this day, uh, experienced a great pain in his life. You see, he married a, a, the daughter of uh, a, a lord, a, a chancellor that uh, disapproved of him. And so this Lord Chancellor yanked him from his job. He worked in the uh, British Parliament, and so this Chancellor didn't like it because he had married his daughter, and so he got him fired. And then uh, not only did he get him fired, he took his wife back away from him. And then not only did that, to keep them from getting back together, he threw John Donne in the dungeon. And, uh, and it was a time of great suffering. And um, and in the, the dungeon, John Donne wrote a line that in certain poetry uh, uh, circles remains to this day. He said, John Donne, and Donne, undone. Because they were pulled apart. And it was a great a period of pain for him. And later he would endure a long illness that would zap his physical energy, his physical strength, almost to the point of death. And in the midst of his illness, John Donne wrote a series of devotions on suffering, which still today rank among the most poignant meditations uh, ever written on this subject of suffering and persecution. And in one of these, John Donne, what he does is he, he looks at the parallel of what suffering and pain and difficulty bring to him and what sickness, he, uh, what he learned uh, about his life with God through the sickness. And here's essentially what he came away with. Suffering gets our attention and forces us to look at God. Suffering causes us to look up. Otherwise, if all is well, we just tend to kind of, of, of just ignore God in most cases. Now, the church at Smyrna was suffering. And because they were suffering, guess what it had caused them to do? It had caused them to focus their attention more on God than uh, ever before. And it caused them to continue to look up uh, and keep their eyes on Jesus. And the fact is that I, I've said this through the years, I remind you that, that suffering and difficulty and persecution will do one of two things to you. Number one, it'll either make you better, or number two, it'll make you bitter. Those are about the only things that I've observed that suffering will do. It'll make you better. Some people grow the way God intends for them to grow through the suffering. And some people just become bitter and they turn inward and say, why me? Why do I have to do this? Now, listen, today I want to talk to you about being spiritually healthy for sure. But I want to talk to you about how the, that intersects sometimes with pain and difficulty and suffering. And there are those of you in this room today, and you're going through something, and you don't quite understand what's going on. And you may even feel like God has abandoned you, or God has, has said, I'm not involved, or I won't be involved, or I won't get involved. And today I want to talk with you about that. I want to show you a few things, and I want us to look at this church to learn uh, some lessons. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2. 
The scripture says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, Father, would you take this, your word, and with your Holy Spirit, we want to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so with your Spirit and your words, speak to our hearts and teach us, Father, what you want us to know, how you want us to grow. Speak now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, let me tell you a few things about uh, the church at Smyrna. Smyrna uh, today is the modern city of Izmir, Turkey. Now, all of these churches that we're looking at, we're in a pretty compact geographic area. That is within... Uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 miles of each other. But Smyrna, if you look on the map and you find the modern city of Izmir, that's Smyrna. And that's where this church was. And, and uh, it was about 40 miles north of Ephesus. Ephesus is the church we looked at last week, okay? Smyrna was about 40 miles north of Ephesus. And it was a pagan uh, city. It had temples and shrines to Roma to Aphrodite, to Apollo, to Artemis, to Sibylle, uh, to Dionysus, and uh, Zeus. And that's just to name a few. So it was a pagan city. It was very religious, but it was pagan. It was a thriving commercial center and regarded as one of the chief cities of Asia at that time. Smyrna, however, the church at Smyrna was a light in this darkness. The culture was dark there. The culture was decaying there, but Smyrna, the church at Smyrna stood out as kind of a light in this darkness. It, it was a, a church of truth and a culture of lies, and it was, it was a church that was different in the midst of conformity. And the message to the church at Smyrna is the shortest of all the seven churches in Revelation. This is the short, just four verses uh, address this church, but they reveal some profound lessons that I want us to see this morning, four of them in particular. The first lesson is this that we learned from the church at Smyrna. Not to be naive, God knows what's going on. You know, tribulation has a way of making us think sometimes that God is disconnected from us, that God doesn't really know what's going on. But look at verse 9, underline this, I know your tribulation. He says, I know your tribulation. He goes on to say, I know your poverty. Uh, as well. What's he talking about here? Well, their property had been taken. They were persecuted financially. They had lost all their material possessions. They were persecuted physically. They were being thrown in jail, and more would be thrown in jail. And they were maligned by the culture and the city that they lived in. They were verbally persecuted as well. And you know what God's message to them is? His message to them is, I know. You may feel like you're an island. You may feel, by the way, John Donne, whom I quoted a moment ago, is known most famously for his line, no man is an island. 
That is, we don't stand alone. But sometimes if you're going through a crisis, if you're going through difficulty, you can feel like you're all alone. That here I am and God has forgotten me. Don't be naive. God knows what's going on in your life. He's fully aware of what's going on. Difficulty doesn't mean that God doesn't know. And it's naive for us to believe that the Almighty God does not know what's going on in your life. Now, the fact is, these Christians had a rough time of it. Uh, They had a rough time, and it was going to get even worse. And you see this word tribulation there. Now, that word spoken here does not refer to the common kinds of pain and difficulty and issues. Let me explain. We live in a broken world. It's a fallen world. It is ruled by, by God's allowance by what's called the prince and power of the air. Who is the prince and power of the air? That is Satan himself. But he rules only because God has allowed it, and the day is coming when his rule will end. But right now, we're in this fallen world under uh, the devil's influence and his attempts to undermine the work of God. Now, when it says tribulation here, It's not talking about tribulation that just comes a common kind of tribulation living in a broken world. You know, in a broken world, we get sick, right? In a broken world, there are accidents. In a broken world, you know, those common kinds of difficulties that we face, that's not the tribulation he's talking about. Here he's talking about these Christians were being persecuted. They were facing difficulties that were directly related to their identity as Christians. In other words, it was coming because they were unashamedly Christian. You know, it seems like uh, it's becoming more pronounced in the world and the culture we're living in where where Christians are more and more being marginalized and told, if you are Christian, don't speak about your faith, don't identify with Jesus Christ because it is offensive. Well, that had reached a full force in Smyrna. And, and they, to their credit, they wouldn't back off. They were not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Kind of reminds me of what Paul said. Uh, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of salvation to all of those who believe. He said, I'm not ashamed of. He said, We are fools for Christ. And what he meant to the culture, he said, We are fools. The culture thinks we're fools. Uh, because we follow Christ. Well, the Christians at Smyrna, they didn't back off. And because of that, they lost their mere, uh, material possessions that were taken from them. Uh, everything that the world values was kind of attacked that they had. And, and so they, they, in a physical kind of way, they endured that. But they also endured literally physical uh, uh, suffering and physical punishment because of their faith identifying with Christ in their culture was intolerable. Do do y'all see what's coming in the culture you're living in? There's a greater hostility being focused on those who identify with Christ. Have you ever wondered why you don't see that same kind of hostility focused on other religions? I'll tell you exactly why. Satan hates truth. And There's no need to focus on other religions who do not have the truth. You say, well, that sounds kind of arrogant. It does to the culture. Jesus said, I am the truth, not a truth. I'm not one of many truths. I am the truth. Listen, Christianity is the truth. And 
And, and by the way, in the Roman Empire, remember all the temples and shrines I told you that were existent in Smyrna? And in the Roman Empire, Christians could have uh, peacefully coexisted with them if they'd have just said, okay, we'll just be one of the many kind of religions that are there. The problem was Christians said, we can't just swallow the Kool-Aid. Christians said, we won't just be one. We are the one. That's why in a culture, uh, the, the devil will uh, unleash his, his ammunition against Christianity because Christianity says, Jesus is the one. There is no other. Only Jesus is the way. And so the, uh, to the culture, it was intolerable then. It's becoming more intolerable today. Now, we don't preach a lot about this. You don't hear a lot about this. Um, and a lot of pulpits should be teaching and preaching about these very things uh, because it's going to get worse. Can y'all see it? it it's going to get worse. And so we have this response. I have a responsibility. Do you, do you remember how this, uh, uh, this started? It started like all of them do. To the angel of the church of Smyrna or to the angel of the church of Ephesus. I, I think I told you last week, most scholars believe that that address is actually to the pastor. Say, here's what Jesus says so that that pastor, shepherd, angel, I, I like the term angel. Y'all can refer to me here after as the angel. No, 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 don't. Um, but you understand, the, the, the message was, to the angel in order to deliver to the, the church. And we don't, and, and really it's not a real, it's not a real popular message. I, I will tell you something. I have told the Lord on several occasions in the last uh, few years, God, you've given a, you've put a hard message on me. And, and I'll be honest, I wish, I wish at times I didn't have this sense that God hears a message that I'm to deliver, but I'm scared not to. Does, does that make sense? And I want you to know and to understand what the Spirit says to the church 2,000 years ago. The Spirit is saying again to the churches in the, 20, the 21st century. Vance Havner, a preacher of bygone era, said this, It's not easy to preach on the church at Smyrna nowadays. He said, the average American congregation is in no mood to appreciate such a church. I think he's right. We, it's not the message we want, but this is a healthy church, people. Isn't that interesting? And my observation over four uh, decades now in, in ministry, my observation about American Christianity is that because we have prospered as, as people of faith and, and because we've had it so easy as people of faith, that, that I believe a faulty perception has developed among American Christians that is a belief that somehow we're exempt from being persecuted for our faith because historically we haven't had to suffer or struggle for our faith. So we've developed kind of, have you ever heard this term, American exceptionalism? 
Have you ever heard that? That's more of a political philosophy than a spiritual uh, ideology. And what it simply means is that, that American exceptionalism, Americans are so different from the rest of the world because of uh, industry and ingenuity and those kinds of things. There's a kind of American exceptionalism. By the way, that's why people are trying to break into our country. Because it still has an exceptional quality about it. It's sick, but it has an exceptionalism about it. Well, some of that has, has uh, 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 bled over into church in America, which has caused the church in America and American Christians to kind of believe, well, we've never suffered because we're the American Christians. Do you know that's the exception in the rest of the world? And that... Uh, that's something that should alarm us to, to believe because we haven't faced much persecution historically. We won't face persecution. But dear friends, it is coming. And you can see the storm clouds uh, forming on the horizon. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 16. He said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Before Billy Graham died, he talked about the persecution that's coming. One of my favorite authors, Oscar Ness, has also sounded this same caution. He said, and I quote, I am less concerned about the persecution that's coming than about the bad responses to the talk of it. Did you get that? He says, I'm less concerned about what's coming persecution-wise. He said, I'm more concerned about uh, the way we respond when the conversation even comes up. In other words, I don't want to talk about that or, or, or ignore it. We are solemn. We are at a, he says, we are at a solemn moment for humanity and for the church in the U.S. and in the West, that is Western civilization. We are nearing the climax of the centuries-long attempted secularist takeover of the Jewish and Christian faiths as the defining faith of the West. He says this is reaching its, its peak uh, where the secularism has overtaken the defining faiths of Western civilization. In a recent video service uh, series, Andrew Brunson also warned the church in the video series that, a, and this is a quote, a dark tidal wave is on the horizon. Uh, it's a wave of hostility and persecution that is about to crash on to the church. I don't know if you know who Andrew uh, Brunson is. I read his book back uh, a couple of years ago. Brunson knows firsthand about persecution. You see, he was in prison for two years, interestingly enough, in Turkey because of his Christian faith. And he says in this documentary, he says, many Christians do not think this can happen in the United States, but it can. Followers of Jesus throughout history and in countries around the world have experienced persecution. In fact, he writes, our experience of very little persecution up to now is the exception. So you see, we, ha we can't be naive about it, but we also must remember the message that came to Smyrna from God is this. This is, the, this is the, I know, 
Because when we're going through difficulty, look, whether it's the persecution that will come down the road or just the difficulties and complexities of your life, here's a good word for you. And some of you are experiencing those kinds of things right now. And here's a word for you from God's word. God knows. Don't be naive and think but what you're going through is complete, God is completely oblivious to. God knows. God is completely uh, aware. And did you notice he adds something there? Look, look at verse 9. He says, and I know your tribulation, but I also know your poverty. And he was talking about their physical poverty. These people were struggling to survive. And then he, do you see what he adds? But you are rich. How, what a, what a, 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 a contrast. He said to them, I know your poverty, but I also know you're rich. He's helping them understand something. Look, the Bible says, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth that moth and rust uh, corrupts, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven that cannot be decayed. And here's what he's saying. You, you're in poverty in this life, but guess what? You have laid up treasures. Your bank account may be empty, but your heavenly account is full. And why is that important? Listen, it's important because you're going to spend eternity there and in the scheme of your life, there's, this is just a blip. So that's why Jesus said, put away treasures in heaven, you know, that can't be destroyed. Right now, look, you, it doesn't matter what you've got, you can lose all of it, right? I mean, you can lose, you know, there's no way to protect everything in this world. But there is a way to protect it in the next and so he says, lay aside treasure uh, in, uh, in heaven. God knows what's going on. God knows what's going on in your life. Don't ever think for a moment, no matter how severe it is, that God is uh, not aware. The second lesson that we learn from Smyrna is this. Don't be afraid. Why? This is a test. This is a test. It's a test of your faith. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Don't fear. It's a test. Have you ever considered that many of the things and the difficulties in your life just might be a test? Just might be God testing the extent of your faith. How faithful are you going to be in the midst of the test? When I was growing up, I, I don't think they do this anymore, Chuck. You, you probably remember. You're old enough to remember. Remember when you, the television, um, the television, they would come on and say, you remember that, Franklin? The television would come on and say, this is a test. You'd hear this long kind of whistle and it just run to chill up your spine. And then you see this weird graphic on the screen and it would say, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Anybody, uh, how many of you old people are in here? Okay. Y'all remember that, right? And then it would beep. It would do this beeping sound or very annoying sound. And then at the end, it would come back and say, this is a test. This is only a test. If this had have been an actual emergency, you would be dead right now. No, it didn't say that. <laughs> this is a test. Listen, sometimes, sometimes the trauma, the difficulty, it's a test. 
In this case, he says to the church, it's a test. Now listen to me. He doesn't. He knows, right? Y'all got that. He knows. Don't be naive. He knows. He knows. And then he goes on to encourage them with more bad news. Did you notice that? I know. It's going to get worse. I mean, that's really what he says in in verse 10, right? I was feeling pretty good. God, God knows. And then he said, it's going to get worse. The devil's going to attack you. And it's all about a test of your faith. And by the way, the devil can't attack unless God gives him permission. Did you know he said the devil's going, but I know, I know what's going on. I'm in control, but I got to tell you something. It's going to get worse. And some of you are going to be thrown in prison for your faith. You're going to be thrown in prison. That's what he says to them. And some of you to the point of death. I don't know if any of them. And he said, there's going to be a real tough time for 10 days in their life, in the church's life, because of the assault, the attack. And it's and it's orchestrated by the devil, but it is allowed by God. Did y'all get that? It's important to understand. So can the devil attack you? The answer is yes. Your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he can't without the permission of God. Go look at Job. He had to ask, can I, can I uh, uh, assault him? He'll give up his faith if I uh, assault him. And man, not too many of us have been down the Job rope. I don't know any Job's, modern day Job's. Do you? But he held tight. Now, he struggled at times, but he held fast to his faith. Do you know that, that Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, the devil has sought to sift you like wheat. But he said, be encouraged, I've prayed for you. He's going to attack you. He can only do what he's, the devil has sought. He came and said, can I have permission to sift Peter? And Jesus says, I've prayed for you, and you will you, you will stumble, but you'll get back on your feet. And so he tells the church here, eh, some, some, bad news, some bad stuff is coming. <clears throat> and it's going it's to result in some of you going to jail. But this is a test of your faith. Now, God doesn't tempt us. Now, the devil tempts. God never tempts. But God does test. He tests their faith. He tested Abraham. You remember Isaac when he said, take your son, Isaac, your only son, the son who I'm gonna, I told you you would have and we'd fulfill the promise. I want you to go build an altar, lay him on the altar and offer him as a sacrifice to God. And we know that story, right? We know the outcome of that story and it's a good outcome. But Abraham didn't know how it was going to work out. But on the front side of the story, if you go back and read it, it says, and God tested Abraham. It's a test. Some of the things that some of you are going through right now is a test of your faith. God's trying to decide, are you going to keep your eyes on Him? Are you going to walk faithfully with Him in the midst of whatever it is? He's, he's allowing you, your faith to be tested. Because by the way, the only way our faith tends to grow, by and large, is when it's challenged. And he's saying, and some of you are being tested. In their case, he said, some of you are going to be thrown in jail. I want to tell you, I think, I may be wrong about this. I hope I am wrong about this. But what we're seeing happening in our world around, the day's going to come 
when you could potentially be thrown in jail for your faith, for identifying with Christ. And certainly preachers, it's already happened in places like Canada where they're throwing preachers in jail for their sermons. And I think I've probably preached some sermons here over the years that would get me in jail in Canada and may one day here if we back off of the truth. And by the way, if they, if they lock me up, I, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be, I'm not looking, but I had, I've said this for years, you know, one day that could, ha- it could do y'all realize that could happen in this culture you're now living in? If you don't follow a politically correct uh, 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 path, I've said it for years, I said it long before it even looked like those possibilities existed. And uh, I said one time here, Mike, I said, you know, um, they could one day throw, throw us in jail. And in particular, preachers, I said, and I had somebody come up afterwards and say, well, preacher, don't you worry about it. We'll come visit you. <laughs> no. Don't come visit me. Get me out. <laughs> right? I'm going to get me out. If, 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 if it if it comes to that. But that's what it was coming to here. And the message was, listen, don't be afraid. This is a test. Polycarp, I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Polycarp was a disciple of John who wrote Revelation, who received it from God, wrote it. Polycarp was one of his disciples. And Polycarp is considered one of the great fathers of the church. And Polycarp died a martyr at the age of 86. He was burned at the stake. Do you know what, who Polycarp was? He was the bishop of the church at Smyrna. And he was burned at the stake at 86 years of age because he would not deny Jesus was the only God. And his reported last words before they lit the fire as he was wrapped and waiting to burn, his words were this, for 86 years I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, had a plaque on his, uh, on his uh, wall, his bedroom wall, uh, of Isaiah 48:10 that says behold I have refined you but not as silver I have tried you in the furnace of affliction and and Spurgeon said God's choice God's choice to test us is what makes us his chosen people he said we're not chosen in the palace but we're chosen in the furnace and he says though the furnace may may mar beauty and the furnace may destroy strength and in the furnace it may consume uh, who we are yet in the furnace is where the eternal love of God reveals its secrets and declares its choice this was a test of their faith and the testing of our faith is about alignment it sometimes is about God using corrective corrective discipline okay sometimes he tests us to get us back on course to get us aligned so sometimes it's about alignment sometimes it's about refinement you know what God wants to to do with you he wants to refine you 
And the scripture often uses this process of the refining of silver and gold. God wants to refine you, and guess what he wants to refine you to look like? Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's what testing is all about. It's about refinement, and sometimes it is about your assignment. What I mean. Sometimes God tests your faith so it will reveal itself to people around you. How are they getting through that? How, how do they cope with that? Charles Colson, uh, who got saved, went to prison. He had been a part of some of the corruption of the Nixon years, and he went to prison. And when he came out, he began a ministry, an incredible ministry. He became an incredible man of God. Uh, God used him all over the world. Prison fellowship ministries, an incredible work. And then late in his ministry, Colson got cancer. He contracted cancer in he was on a radio program, and they were asking him, this kind of skeptic uh, uh, MC on the radio was saying, well, don't you think it's a little odd? You've been doing all this great work for God with prisons all over the world, literally, and, and yet God would allow you to get cancer. He was being a cynic. He said, why do you think that is? Why would God do that? And here's what Colson said. Colson said, I don't know. He said, but perhaps every time a lost man gets cancer, maybe God allows a saved man to get cancer so the world can see the difference in how they handle it. Wow, isn't that good? Sometimes the fire that's in your life is about refinement. It's about refinement. Now I want to tell you something else. If God was watching, right, God knew and God allowed them to be thrown into prison and, and murdered and all of that. Because, by the way, there will be people murdered today somewhere in the world because of their faith in Jesus Christ. If God is watching, you know, now let, let me tell you, I don't know why he does that. Except it is a testing of their faith that is revealed to a watching world and you know there's sometimes we do know there's some things we're not going to know until we walk into the kingdom and then it's going to make sense to us we will know even as we're known the scripture says but i don't always god doesn't always answer the question here but it will be answered and C.S. Lewis, the literary genius Christian, he, he said this. You know, people say all this. Well, I'll tell you what. I'd, I'd like to ask God some questions. Have you ever heard somebody do something like that? Kind of like, well, he's going to have to answer some questions for me. Careful. I, you ever heard somebody say this? <laughs> I'll tell you what. As soon as I get to heaven, I've got a couple of questions I'm going to ask God. First of all, they're being very presumptuous. <laughs> You've heard people say that or express that. C.S. Lewis said, we, we hear that, but he said, the fact is, the first thing you're going to say when you get to heaven is not, hey, where's the big man? I got a couple of questions. He said, the first thing people, when they walk into heaven, are going to do is they're going to go, oh, now I see. You know, Paul said right now, we see through a glass darkly. It's like a smoke color glass. We know there's something beyond, but we can't make it all out. 
There are things right here, right now going on that we don't always understand. But listen, friend, one day we will know even as we uh, are known. And we'll be able to say, oh, God, that makes sense. But God may not help you understand the why of everything right now except to say it's a test of your faith. Are you going to be uh, faithful? You'll know when you need to know. It may not be in this life. And given the fact that this life, do you realize our life in the grand scheme of things right now, here and now is an infinitesimally small segment compared to all of eternity? So you say, yeah, but these Christians, they were dying. There are worse things, you know. They were dying to what? They were dying and going into the presence of God. Now let me tell you something today. I'm not looking to say, okay, walk out of here and say, I got a death wish. you, You understand that's not what I'm saying. But there are a lot of things worse than that, aren't there? Um, nobody that's in heaven is wishing they'd had more time here. No, if we, if we could for a moment go there and say, kind of got here early, didn't you? They wouldn't go, yeah, I was really hoping for a few more years. No one Because what is ahead for us is indescribably wonderful. So that's how we get perspective. Oh, they suffered and they died. Yeah, and went into the presence of God. Hmm. Paul said this. He said, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. He said, it is better for me to stay here with you, but as for me personally, I'd rather go on into the presence of God. I believe the reason we don't know more about the presence of God in terms of heaven, and, you know, and I thought about this years ago, I used to wonder, God, why don't you just uh, kind of fix all that? You know why? You know why God hasn't given us any more information about that? Because if we got a real glimpse of heaven, we'd be looking for a ticket out of here. And so God doesn't give us that glimpse because he still has a reason that you're here. And it may be down, that reason is down the road. Perhaps it is to bring glory to him in some, some way. Well, let me, let, me, let me give you an example of what I'm, I'm talking about, of being able to live in this world but anticipate the next. There was a woman here several years ago. I want to say probably, gosh, now 12, 13 years ago, and she contracted brain cancer. And she's a sweet lady, and I would go and check. She'd taken chemo and radiation and all those things. I would, she lost her hair, you know, and she, she would wear a turban and all that. She's such a sweet lady. And I would every once in a while stop in to visit her, check her on her, see how she's doing. And she continued to come to church, sometimes very, you know, with the side effects of the, the chemo and everything. But she continued to come. And then one day she said, uh, Brother Ray, she said, I've decided I'm not going to take any more treatments. You know, it's the old thing that the treatment sometimes is worse than the disease. And that's where she, I'm not saying you should, that's just where she came to. And she said, what do you think about that? I said, I think that's a decision you and your family have to make. And so they did, and they were all at peace. She said, well, I'm at peace with it. And she said, I know where I'm going and all that. And she said, the doctors told me if I stop, if I stop treatments, I got three months. 
She said, but I'm going to do it. Uh, and God gave her five years. I mean, five good years. And she told me, I don't know, um, about six months before she passed away, out in the Welcome Center one Sunday, she's come by and I said, hey, give, give me a note, how you feeling? And I prayed with her many times over the years. She said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm slowing down. It's catching up with me. I'm slowing down. But then she said this, but Brother Ray, I wouldn't change a thing. She said, in fact, I would do this again because of what it has happened in my life spiritually. She said, Brother Ray, I've come to know God in a way that I never understood I could know him before. And so I would do this again to get to know God the way I've got to know him. Look, I'm not advocating, pray God give you a disease. That's none of the, the thing. What I'm saying to you is some of you who are watching, some of you are in this audience are being tested right now, and some of you more severe than others. Don't be afraid. God has allowed it either to bring you home or to deepen your relationship with him. Let me move on. Number three, what do we learn from this murder? Don't be surprised when the enemy attacks. The enemy will attack. So don't be surprised about that. Don't, don't, James said, don't be surprised at the fiery darts of, uh, of the devil. Don't be surprised. The enemy will attack. Jesus says to them in verse 10, he says, the devil is about to, in other words, the devil's about to attack you. All through the New Testament, we're warned about the assault of the devil. In John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy destroy James in James 4 7 says submit to God and resist the devil first Peter 5 8 your adversary the devil prowls about uh, Ephesians 6 11, put on the whole armor of God and stand against the schemes of the devil second Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light that's just a sampling all through the New Testament we are told to be ready, to be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is and will attack. We shouldn't be surprised. We should be prepared. And the enemy will attack, and sometimes God is allowing that attack to test you. And that happens in this broken world, as we said, where the devil has been given some latitude as the prince and power of this world. It won't last forever, but right now, Sometimes he attacks and he brings assault and damage upon our life. At the Nicene Council, an important church gathering in the 4th century A.D., there were 318 delegates. These were considered the, the major leaders of the church at that time uh, across the globe. And there were 318 delegates that attended this meeting. And less than 12 of them, only uh, uh, a handful had not experienced persecution and suffering. All the others had arrived and some had lost an eye or lost a hand or some of them uh, couldn't walk uh, without a, a limp or without assistance because they had been tortured for their Christian faith. I was, a few years back, I was in Cuba and I was doing a pastor's conference for these Cuban 
uh, pastors, and it was a wonderful uh, 10 days there at this, uh, with these pastors, and they're so humble, but many of them have been through persecution. Many of them had suffered. And on one occasion, after preaching in a church on a Sunday, we, we sat down with a, a, an elderly man, and he was kind of considered, I don't know, this great figure among the, the churches and the pastors and the people in Cuba because he had, he had suffered persecution, and he was such a sweet, humble man. But he had scars all over his body, physical scars, where he had been tortured. What's even more interesting, they took his son... His son was a believer and a young preacher, and they tortured his son to death in front of him. Wow. And his son said, Dad, don't yield, don't give in. And he's just a gracious, sweet example of Christ. These Christians at Smyrna, they could have survived, they could have compromised with the Jews and the pagans, and save their property and even their lives. But some things, brothers and sisters, and sisters, are more precious than even life itself. Now, we may, we may never be called upon to die for Christ, and that's my hope. But there would be a significant, don't you agree, if people here were dying for their faith, it would thin the church out. Don't you think there'd be a significant thinning out of the church? And the point is, the devil is going to attack you. He's going to attack, and he's going to attack the church. And don't be surprised. Don't live in fear, but expect it. I had an opportunity to lead a, lead a man to Christ this week, and he'd been watching on television, and uh, uh, he came in to see me said, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. And, um, and so we talked about some stuff, some other stuff. He said, I need some counsel on some stuff. And so I shared that counsel. And then I had this sudden, this sudden sensation, Wally, that I, I needed to ask him the big question. And I said, I said, I want to just ask you a question if it's okay. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior and put your trust in Him alone. He's a professional man, and he looked down and he said, I just don't think so. And it's real cool because I said, would you like to do that? And he, he did this. He leaned over in the chair and he said, could I? And I said, you can. And he said, well, I would need help. I said, you're at the right place. I can help you with that. And he prayed and trusted Christ as his Savior. But I tell you that to tell you this. Before he left, I said, now I want you to, I said, I want to say something to you that I want you to understand. When you walk out of here, you've done something that the devil despises. Don't be afraid. I mean, don't be surprised if the devil opens up all hell against you. He can't take your relationship, but he can sure try to undermine your confidence in your Savior. I said, I just want you, I said, I don't know if he'll do it, but I said, I've seen it after people have given their lives to Christ. I've seen that, and he may. Look, don't be surprised. That's what I was telling him. But expect those kinds of things. Here's the last thing, and I, I'm done. 
The last lesson we learn from Smyrna is don't be disloyal. Why? A crown awaits. Verse 10, the last part. Did you see that? Don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And, then, and, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Don't be disloyal. Why? Stay faithful. Stay steadfast. Why? Because there's a crown that's waiting. You see, as commendable as this church was, and by the way, there are only a couple of these seven churches <clears throat> that Jesus doesn't say, here's something you need to get straight. There are only a couple, Smyrna is one of them, that Jesus says, I know what you're doing, I, I know what you're uh, suffering, all that, and then he doesn't say, but I have this against you. He didn't have any complaint against them. He just said to them, be be faithful, be steadfast, because I've got a crown awaiting you. As commendable as they were, this is where the choice, seven churches, seven choices, this is where their choice can, comes in. Do you know what their choice was? Their choice was to remain faithful every day to get up, especially with the intensity of the attack on them. You see, faithfulness to God is not something that's one and done. You don't go, well, I, I, became, I, I got saved and I became faithful. Because the enemy's always attacking, right? And so they had to make the choice to continue what was happening. They had to, there's a choice. Am I going to get up tomorrow? Jesus, take up your cross daily and follow me. Am I going to get up every day and say, today, today I make the choice to be faithful? Not because of what's going on around, not because of the attacks, not because of what I'm going through. I'm going to be faithful to Christ. Because he is my Savior. And he gave them a reason, didn't he? And he gives us a reason because there's a crown waiting. Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, writing to a young preacher, says, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the course. And did you know what he adds to that? And now, therefore, is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. But then he adds this, but not just for me, all of those, that's us who love his appearing. Be faithful is the lesson because there's a crown that's waiting us. You know, it pays, it pays to serve and, and, and live for Jesus. But it doesn't necessarily pay in a currency this world recognizes. I mean, it didn't pay John the Baptist, right? In this world, it didn't pay currency that he could spend in this world. It didn't pay James. It didn't pay Stephen. It didn't pay Peter. It didn't pay many of the he, uh, heroes of chapter, the last verses of chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says they were looking to a reward not made by hands. Now look, let me, let, as I kind of wrap this up, this doesn't mean you have to suffer to be godly. It doesn't mean that adversity makes you super spiritual. Don't go looking for it. There, you don't get a merit badge for for, um, for suffering, you get the reward for making it through. You don't get a, uh, God doesn't say, oh, because you're suffering, here's a merit badge. In this life, Jesus said, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, and if I'm in you, we can have victory. Listen, you don't get the merit badge for suffering, you get the reward for enduring faithfully. This does teach us that loyalty to Christ 
at any cost is a hallmark of our trust in God. And like these believers in Smyrna, every believer must make a choice about whether they will be faithful no matter what the price is and then has to make the choice every day to remain faithful to Christ. I read this by a lady and I thought it was good. She said, you know, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white hot heat of the furnace in order to become porcelain. Isn't that good? Yeah, just the normal ups and downs of life out there. But you go through the white heart furnace faithfully, and guess what? You come out porcelain. So my question is, do you want to be a clay pot or do you want to be a porcelain bowl? Because how you respond to heat, the heat of difficulty determines what you become. So what's the lesson? You see it at the bottom of your outline? Here's the lesson. The lesson is that we learn from Smyrna is God is in control. God is in control, so wait and walk with Him. God is in control, so wait and walk with Him. A pastor from another era named Alexander McLaren said this, those who, listen, this is good, those who know the path of God can find it even in the dark. Isn't that good? Those who know the path of God, even in the dark, difficult times, can find it even in the dark. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? I can give him my heart. You know, if he doesn't have your heart, you have no hope. Does he have your heart? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message to Smyrna, this healthy church, and yet it was a harassed church. Thank you that they were examples of steadfastness. Help us, Father, to be examples of steadfastness. I know there are people right now listening to my voice, whether they're in this room or listening on radio or live stream. God, I know, I know that they are battling things right now. And some of them have been discouraged and lost heart because they wonder, God, do you know? But God, you know. Would you reassure their hearts right now that you know, even if they don't sense you right now, unless, of course, God, they don't sense you because they don't know you. And for all of those who who might be there saying, I I really don't know him. I'm not sure if I know him. I want to offer you an opportunity to get that straightened out. Right where you are, whether it's by live stream, radio, or right in this live audience, whosoever shall call upon the Lord will be saved, the Scripture says. You can do it. Your head is bowed. Your heart is ready. Would you say sincerely from your heart to him, would you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. You know me and you know who I am. You know my failures and my weakness and all my faults, all my sins you know. And you died for them, Lord. I thank you that you died on the cross for all of those things, for all of my sins. And right now, because you did, I want to receive your free gift of eternal life and salvation. 
I invite you to come in to cleanse me and make me new. I receive you. Some who are going through this, you realize today that the white hot fires are about refinement and you've been balking and balking at God. Maybe you should say to Him, Lord, I'm sorry that I haven't trusted, that I haven't been faithful in this journey. Help me to be faithful. To keep my eyes on you, even if the, if the heat of the, of the trial, of the test, if, if it gets even hotter, help me keep my eyes on you until you bring me through. I will trust you. Tell him that. I will trust you. Now, Father, would you hear these prayers? I know you do, but we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me before we're gone? I'll be here at the front. Our staff will be on the aisles, and I want to invite you. You know, you can take that little panel on the worship folder. You can fill that out about any decision that you've made, and that's perfectly fine. You can drop that in the offering baskets. And those of you who are watching by live stream, you know, there's information on the screen about how you can connect, whether it's you trusted Christ today, you want to join our church, whatever it may be. You can follow all those instructions. And you can do that in this live audience. But here in this place, I want to give you an even larger opportunity, and that is to invite you to, to slip out from where you're sitting. If you prayed that prayer and trusted Christ, I invite you to slip out, make your way down front. I'm here, staff are here. Just say, here's a decision that I've made today. People have already done it today. You can come and say, Jesus said, if you'll not acknowledge me before men, I'll not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So I invite you, if you trusted Christ, to slip out, come, tell one of us about that decision. We'll take it from there. You may want to come and say, I want to join this church. I want this to be my church home. You come. We'll, we'll handle it. You may want to use this altar. Come and kneel before him. You're praying for someone. You're praying about something. You need to talk to him. Nothing, I believe, is more powerful than a bent knee before God humbling ourselves as Bradley sings and leads us that's our invitation we'll be gone real real soon but right now you slip out you come on